Everybody say, get battle ready. All right, all right. Well, how are we today, church? Awesome, 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 awesome. Is anybody out there enjoying the perfect blue skies, cooler weather today? Ow! Man, I am so glad that fall is on its way. I hope it stays. Well, listen, let me just again say welcome to all of you. If you're a first-time guest this morning, I really, really want you to know that we're ecstatic you're here today. Uh, my name is Jeff, and I'm one of our pastors on our staff, and it's my goal and my job and my responsibility to make you feel at home and to, I, and, and to hopefully today that you would just walk away uh, being connected a little bit further to the God who loves us all. And so what I want to do right now, I just want to bow for a moment and pray and ask God to speak to us uh, in the way that he can, not myself, but him. So let's pray. Lord, I ask that in this moment following, as we open your, your word, I pray, God, it would do what it's done for thousands of years, that it would, it would penetrate hearts and it would lead people to hope and faith and salvation, and eternity in heaven with you. God, that's our hope. That's our goal. God, we know that's yours. And so, Lord, today we surrender to you. I surrender to you. I pray that, that my words would just be your words. And, God, what's heard and what's done today would be all because of you and for your glory. I pray that in the ending of today, I pray that you would be the hero in this story. We love you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. On the seventh, on the seventh, excuse me, on December the seventh, nineteen forty-one, at seven forty-eight a.m., I was not born yet. Some of you guys were not born yet. Many of you were not born yet. But at seven forty-eight a.m., something historical happened. Three hundred and three hundred and fifty-three Japanese warplanes flew right into what is called Pearl Harbor, into an unsix, un, un, uh, unknowledgeable group of Navy personnel, and they did some damage. Um, you guys uh, know the, the history behind Pearl Harbor, probably. Uh, we've got a lot of combat veterans in our church. 35% of our church is made up of, of honorable men and women who serve our country, uh, I, I was not born yet, but I've seen the movie, and uh, I'm, almost, I'm almost ashamed to say that I love the movie. It's a great movie, but that was a devastating day for America. Uh, in fact, some of the history says that on that day, the Japanese flew in without our knowledge early, early, early in the morning, took aim, and took out 12 of our eight, uh, or took out eight of our Navy battleships Took out three cruisers, three destroyers, 188 of our aircraft, killed 2,403 of our Navy men and women personnel, and wounded 1,178 others. And ultimately, if you know history, that led to us entering into World War II, where we said, nope, this can't happen on our watch. And I want to ask the question, how did that happen? And how did, how did the U.S. miss that moment? How, how were we not ready for, and how did they sneak up on us in such a way that they could, 
they could give so much damage on that day. And I would just say, uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a war veteran of any sorts, nor do I plan battles, but I would have to say that they just were ready and we weren't, right? I would have to say that somehow they gave us the slip. If you ever played hide-and-go-seek before, that's kind of something that you do. You hide and you seek and you try to sneak up on the other person. And on that day, they gave us the slip because we weren't what? Battle-ready. Battle-ready. So we started this conversation two weeks ago, and we said, ultimately, if we're going to win in life, and by win, I don't mean just like, you know, have a, have a nice day, but I mean like win personally in our hearts, win in our marriages, win with as few of, you know, baggage that we carry and shame and guilt that we carry, but ultimately the ultimate win of winning by knowing that my sins have been forgiven, that I have my hope secured in the steady rock of God, our Father, and knowing that we have eternity in heaven with God. That's what I mean by winning. And so what we started last week was this conversation of saying, if we're going to be battle ready, we've got to lean into who God is, and we've got to understand that He's got hope for us. And He wants for all of us to be able to go through life winning in these battles that we face every day. Now, you and I know that our greatest battle isn't face value. It's not necessarily the people that we see, right? Our, our, battle, our battle is greater and broader and more evil than really probably any of us could ever be. Uh, most of it, I think many times we think that our battles with our spouse, right? If you got a good fight maybe on the way to church this morning, you're like, ah, that's my enemy. Not really. Uh, maybe you feel like your battle's against your neighbor, because they planted a tree in your yard, or they did, they shot a, their kid shot a BB gun and took your window out, and you're like, ah, I'm at battle with my neighbors, that's the enemy. Not necessarily, maybe it's you think it's with your boss, so you've got a feud going on, and someone got a promotion you didn't, or you did, and someone else didn't, and they're mad at you. Our battle really isn't against flesh and blood, that's what scripture said last week. Our battle's not against flesh and blood, it's against evil forces in this world. We said last week, as we described, we have an enemy who just isn't some, you know, nice wind that blows around, but really is an entity that strategizes to kill, steal, and destroy our lives. And ultimately, this battle is waged over our hearts. The Bible says that the only two things that last for all of eternity are the souls of men and the Word of God. And so if we believe that to be the case, and we believe that to be the truth, then it would behoove us for us to get battle ready, to think about how we're going to make it for the duration, for how we're going to not only just live our life on this earth, but how do we enter into God's kingdom someday in heaven. And so I want to look at some passages we began to look at last week and just help us today to look at some practical ways that we can be battle ready to be prepared for and ward off the enemy that's trying to slip in and mess things up in our life. All right, so last week we kind of learned that, that in Ephesians, Paul writes uh, how we can be uh, standing strong when the winds and the storms and the problems and the frustrations and the pain and the guilt sets in when life has its way with us. Um, and we also, as I said last week, oftentimes, sometimes we can, we can be our own worst enemies, Right? Sometimes we can, we can almost wage war on ourselves just by bad choices and mistakes. I showed a, 
really embarrassing, goofy, funny video of me last week um, in Costa Rica when I wanted to jump into a bull ring and try to get a $1,000 ticket off a of bull's horns that didn't go so well for me. Made my 17-year-old daughter cry because we're on a church mission trip. The pastor shouldn't do that on the church mission trip, okay? And um, Christy got that news when my daughter called home and said, Dad's done it again. So there are times left our own to our own devices that we can, we can blow it quite easily, right? So how do we win? How do we work through winning in this life and winning in the afterlife? Paul, Paul explains this. He says, essentially, if you're going to win... Uh, you've got to be able to stand firm. Well, how do you stand firm? Well, here's what he says. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. I'm going to dive right into Scripture this morning. If you've got a Bible, grab it. Ephesians is uh, in the New Testament. I'm not going to give you all the, ver- all the chapters leading up to it, but you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and a few more chapters after that you'll find Ephesians. If not, I encourage you right now to download the Bible app. Just Google the Bible app. And you can probably find it very quickly and easily. If not, we'll have Scripture up on the screens for you this morning. Ephesians chapter 6 says this. Therefore, uh, and I believe whenever uh, that word starts out any verse, it's there for a reason. That's why it's there for. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to res- resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then... After the battle, you will be standing what? Standing firm. Standing firm. Doesn't standing firm feel good as opposed to like not standing firm, right? How often have you had uh, a mishap in life or made a poor choice or just had life circumstances that just, just, just took your knees out to where you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. I know many of you right now are going through some, some, some difficulties in life, right? Um, Maybe this morning you walk through these doors showing up at a church and you're giving God and the church one last chance. Because maybe your circumstances says God's forgotten you. Maybe your circumstances are so bad you just can't see how a loving God would allow something so raunchy to happen in your life. Paul speaks to this. He says that's not the goal. The goal is that we would lean into God and understand that God is all grace. He is the one who loves us immensely. And He wants us to be able to stand strong, strong through any diversity, any problem, any struggle. He wants us to weather those storms and be able to, to withstand them and stand strong through them. So I want to give you three things this morning. Three very, very simple things. If you've got your message notes, they work for two reasons. You can write in them and you can fan yourselves with them, all right? I, I encourage you to do that if you need to. So Paul says, put on every piece of armor. What kind of armor are we talking about? We give some, but I want to first say, if you don't put on the gear, that's point number one. If you don't put on the gear, then you can't wear, we can't wear the armor, right? So if you don't put on the gear, you're not wearing the armor, then what happens? You can get messed up. Now, several years ago, my son wanted to play football. He's played a few years of football, but our very first year, I remember taking my seven-year-old son into Dick's Sporting Goods with our, our, like, equipment list. Now, I played football several years when I was a, a youngster and all the way through high school, and I remember most of all the gear that we wore, but I still wanted to make sure I hadn't forgotten something, so we showed up at Dick's, walking through the Sporting Goods store. Okay, got the helmet, check. There's your helmet. Let's make sure it's good. Oh, these are cool new helmets. They got, like, extra padding. They didn't have that when I was 
wearing leather football helmets. I'm not that old. Uh, check helmet, check shoulder pads, check uh, girdle. They actually called them girdles. Why do they give guys men pads and call them girdles? I don't really understand that, but they, they call them girdles. Um, that's where you got all the pads, the, the rear end pad and the side pads and all those pads. And you got the, the pants, and they've got pads in those. Check. We got the cleats. The only thing that I didn't recognize was, was, was not on there was an was a athletic protector. Now, raise your hand if you know what an athletic protector is, all right? That's 90% of the, the men and like 1% women. Athletic protectors are the protectors that protect guy parts, okay? I don't really know how to say that incredibly tactfully in church, but that's my best, all right? So, so I'm, 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 I'm looking on this list and I'm thinking, surely my, my little man, he needs to pr- be protected, right, in his little boy parts, and so what's up? Where's, where, you know, so we started to ask, hey, do, do people still wear these today? And so what I learned was in today's culture, professional athletes who play football do not wear athletic guy protectors, right? All right, I'm not going to go into whole great detail, but there's a, this thing that's called a cup, and it's hard, and when you get hit hard there, it protects you. And so I learned in professional sports, most of the guys do not wear them because it's just not cool. So I was thinking about all this and trying to figure out if my son going to wear it. I'm like, absolutely, you're, you're wearing it. You're wearing a protection. You're wearing this kind of protection. So I remember the first time we go home, we got all the gear on. Guess what he didn't like? He didn't want to wear that thing. Like, Dad, this doesn't feel very good. I don't like how this thing fits on me. I'm like, you're wearing it. You're going to have this protection. So let me ask you this question. Does it, would it really matter how cool or uncool something is if it did its job and protected you in the time of your need of protection? I'm just saying, I don't know why the professional guys aren't doing that, but I think it's valuable. I would say this. It's important having the right gear for battle. Is it not? I know we've got about 35% of our church uh, who are uh, men and women who, 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 who've been in battle before. Uh, 35% of our church are army men and women who have deployed, who serve our country and protect our country. It would be like some of you guys who are in special ops getting all this incredible gear, right? Uh, knives that can penetrate, you know, body armor, your own body armor, the right guns, the right ammo, you know, all the stuff that you carry, all the stuff that protects your body, all the gear that helps you be offensive, all the gear that helps you be defensive. And then you showing up in your deployment, and you're out on a night raid, and you choose to not bring your night vision. You say, I'm not going to show up with my night vision. I just don't want to wear it. It doesn't feel cool. Or I I don't think it's going to help me all that much. And all of a sudden, you're out there, and all of a sudden, the lights are out, or you kill the lights, and you're in on a raid, and all your buddies have night vision. You don't. What's going to happen? You're going to get shot. You're going you're to take one. And your buddies are going to be like, why didn't you wear your protection? That's what it's there for. And see, it makes no sense for us to go into battle without the correct gear. And what Paul is saying here is God has gifted us through him gear, the right kind of gear that helps us spiritually, spiritually, to help us, help, helps us to be ready for to take battle and go into battle against our enemy. So 
Paul says, if you want to stand firm, you've got to, you've got to put on the gear. That's point number one. Point number two is this. The first thing we've got to, we've got to put on, Scripture says in Ephesians 6.14, stand your ground putting on the what? The belt of truth. So point number two is this. If we're going to win, and we're going to win spiritually, which spiritually, that's going to be the thing that connects us, uh, helps us emotionally and physically. It drives pretty much everything. Where you stand spiritually really does affect yourself emotionally and physically. So Paul says, put on your belt of truth. Point number two is secure yourself with truth. The way we step out into this battle and we initiate our battle is by, number one, securing ourselves with truth. Now, how important is truth? How important is truth? Um, I would say that uh, in, in most of my years of doing any kind of sports, and I'm not like super athlete at all, I played some high school sports, had a lot of fun, didn't go any beyond that. But in my years of sports, uh, we, we, we exercised, we lifted weights, and I remember years that I wore a weight belt. Now, how many of you guys have ever worn a weight belt before, lifting weights or whatever, right? So, you know, if you ever lifted weights, probably a coach or, a, or, or somebody who was smarter than you, older and wiser than you, when you started lifting weights, they said, hey, put this belt on, it's going to do what? It's going to help you. So this last week, I'm in my, our gym, the, the gym my wife and I go to, and I'm looking at all these belts over here of which I've never worn. And I'm asking the question, I'm going, hey, so we have all these belts over here, but most of us don't wear these belts. Why? I asked my coach that. He's like, uh, I don't know. And I said, Are, do they still help? As if I'm like ancient and something's changed, right? Do they still help? And they're like, yeah, they're huge. They're, they're very important. I said, well, you know, do you need them when you lift lights, lightweights, or just when you lift heavyweights? He said, really, honestly, they help at any juncture because they help hold your core, tighten things up, keep you from getting, you know, incorrect posture, hurting your back, and say if you're lifting a weight like squats, you're going to squat down and squat back up. He says it actually helps you lift more weight. If you're benching and you've got a belt on and you're lifting heavier weight, it actually helps you lift that weight better. So I said, essentially, the belt helps you be stronger. I said, yes, you can lift more weight with a weight belt on. So I wore a weight belt last week, and I lifted more weights. Come on, anybody like that? I was pretty proud of myself. So here's the point. Paul says, if you're going to be stronger, wear the belt of truth. If you're going to win battles, if you're going to stand firm through the mid- in the midst of battles, wear the belt. Now, how does this look in our relationships? Um, how does truth strengthen you? Well, have you ever had someone who you loved with all your heart that you had a trust with that at some point in that relationship, all of a sudden, you found out something was a massive lie in that relationship? Anybody ever had that happen to you? Kind of a breach of trust in the relationship? What did that make you feel like? Right? It was like, oh, that, was, that, was, that hurt, right? It was like, bam, that was, that's difficult. And there's like all of a sudden, because they lied, because they deceived, all of a sudden there's this huge, huge chasm here. There's this barrier here. And then I don't know how to, you know, really solve this relationship when I'm mad at them because they lied to me. But all of us would say that, that, that in a relationship, the truth is huge, right? Just not if you're, you're with me this morning, right? Is truth huge in a relationship? How about if you're a lawyer? 
If you're a lawyer and your goal is to win your case, how important is having the truth? Right? It's, it's huge to have the truth. Well, maybe I don't, I'm not saying if you're a crooked lawyer, right? I'm not saying it, we're not talking about politicians. Let's not get political right now, right? But if you want to win a discussion, if you want to win an argument, if you're a lawyer trying to win your case, you better be armed with some truth. You better be armed with the facts. Because if you present stuff that's not factual, if you give stuff that's an untruth, what does it do? You lose, right? You lose. So we could also say, just as we're understanding that truth is important, there's an element of if you listen to things that are not the truth over a long period of time, let's just say that when you were little, your dad said you were stupid, right? Or you went to school one day and you blew it really bad and your friends laughed at you. Or, you know, or you had a traumatic something that happened in your childhood that, that the enemy used that event, that problem, that struggle, and he slowly, strategically over the years, whispered negative lies to you, how important would it be to try to say, I don't want to listen to those truths? It'd be important because those would be lies. So here's the thing. Having the truth is valuable to us. And if we're void of the truth, what happens to us is a lie that goes unchallenged becomes the truth that we live by. If you've been lied to over time, over time, if you don't check that lie and see if it's truthful or false, over time that lie will seep into you and it could be the thing that causes some harm and some hurt in your life. In fact, deception can lead to destruction. So it's important for us to understand the truth. Scripture says this. John 8, 32 says this. If you know the truth, this is Jesus' words. He said if you know the truth, guess what the truth will do for you? The truth will set you free. That's what Jesus says. Jesus said if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So in terms of winning this battle, practically speaking, being armed with God's word is huge. It's huge. The only way I can counteract what the enemy says about you and I, the only way I can counteract the enemy's tailor-made temptations that he sets out for us, the only way I can counteract the ways that he causes us to try to trip up, trip, trip us up, the only way that I can counterbalance his attack is by being in God's Word, is by knowing God's truth, is by knowing what does he say about me? Who am, who am I really can only come from God. The best version of, our, of ourselves and not what the enemy says can only come from the creator who created us. And how do we know who he is? And how do we know who we are? Through his word. So God says to us, if you want to win, you've got to know the truth because the truth sets you free. See, the truth is huge. So if you want to win, we've got to put on the gear. And the first piece of gear we've got to put on is the truth. We've got to secure ourselves with the truth. Third thing I want to show you is this. If we're going to win, we've got to step into freedom. We've got to step into freedom. What do I mean by that? Ephesians goes on to say this. Ephesians 6.14 says this. 
Paul says, if you want to stand your ground, you got to put on the belt of truth and the what? And the body armor of God's righteousness. Now, that's a big kind of like, woo, what's that word mean? The body armor of God's righteousness. Well, Paul's still talking about putting on this armor. And he's saying one huge, major piece of honor, uh, or, uh, armor is understanding how we're made right. That's the word righteousness there. That's what it means, being made right. How we're made right by God. And what Paul's trying to explain here is this. And let, let me illustrate it this way. Uh, one, one time, many years ago, Christy and I were down in Fort Lauderdale, where I'm from. And we were, for whatever reason, I don't know if we had some kind of, I don't know if we had a, I don't know what we were doing, but we were trying to go see my uncle, who's a, a lawyer, and we wanted, we needed to go visit, visit him for some reason, and so we drove downtown Fort Lauderdale, we got to the building where his office was, and we went to go up to see him, I think he was like, what'd you guys say, like, I, sent t- I said t- 10 stories last hour, you said 30 stories, so he's 30 stories up in the top you know, office, park, building, whatever you call that. And um, we get to the base of the building, we try to go up, and all of a sudden there's like the elevator attendant. You guys ever run into the elevator attendant in a business before? If you don't have the right time and appointment and credentials, you may not get to go up to the person you want to meet. We show up, and I'm like, hey, we're here to see Uncle Bill. And he's like, yeah, who are you? I'm like, um, Jeff Murphy's my wife, Christy. We're supposed to go up and see Bill DeVell. Do you have an appointment? Uh, no, not really. You can't, can't go up then. I'm sorry. I'm like, wait a second. He's my uncle. Yep, everybody says that. And so, like, Christy and I, we go round and round with this, this elevator attendant. They won't let us go up. And I'm like, what do I do? So I'm like, call my uncle. Like, he won't pick up the phone. I'm calling his cell phone. I'm calling his office phone. I'm calling my parents. I'm like, we're here to see Bill. No one will let us go up. And I'm like, we, we got to handle this stuff, whatever it was. I don't even remember now. But we couldn't go up. And all of a sudden, we've waited there up 15 minutes. We're sitting on the couch. Surely he'll call us. Surely he'll realize, you know, we're on our way up. No one will let us come up. Well, lo and behold, we've sat there forever. And my nephew, William, comes up. William, my nephew, is Bill DeVell's son. So all of a sudden, Billy William walks up, and he's like this little crumb snatcher, little blonde hair guy. He's like, I don't know, 14, 15 years old. I don't know if someone dropped him off or what. He shows up, and he's like, hey, Uncle Jeff, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm trying to go see your uncle. He's like, well, let's go. Well, we walk straight up to the same attendant who's been telling us no for like now half an hour. William gets in. He's like, come on, guys, get on. We get in. The guy says nothing. <laughs> we ride all the way up to the top, and I'm like, hey, man, you didn't let us in a minute ago. What gives? He's like, well, you didn't have the sun here. Oh, so here's the thing. Here's what we learn. Here's the lesson. Without the Son, you can't get to the Father. Oh, that'll preach, right? And that's the case. That's the case. See, here, here's, here's the whole, here, here it is in a whole big, simple way. If we're going to win in life, you can't win apart from the Son. You can't win apart from Jesus and what he did for us. So, so what did Jesus do for us? Jesus took on the sins of the world. He took on your mess, my mess. All the stuff that had been weighing mankind down. All our problems, 
all our sin, all of our shame, all of our junk, all of our hurt, all of our pain. He took sin and death on his back. He went to the grave willingly. He predicted his death, went and got dead, predicted his life, and then rose from the dead and said, hey, because of my spotless, sinless life, because the fact that I am God in a body, I've risen from the dead, I've I've taken your sins away, I've made you right with God, and I've given you hope because I'm powerful enough to come out of the grave. So here's the thing. Whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, whether you're a, a, a boy or a girl, every person here needs to have that body armor that Jesus offers to us to be able to make it through life to be able to walk through life and know the truth, to be able to stand firm when the enemy attacks. But also, here's, here's the, the awesomest cool thing. Out of all that, we get hope for eternity. We get hope for forever. See, here's what Jesus did. Jesus solved life's biggest problems. He solved death. He defeated it. He solved sin. He took on the sins of the world. He solved pain and problems and struggles because he took all that and he said to us if you would at some point in your life as you go through life's problems and all of a sudden you realize wow I'm in need of a savior when you get to that place he says reach out to me I want to be your savior reach out to me I want to be your friend reach out to me I want to give you grace that saves and so Jesus is offered to us as Paul says it so clearly, is I want to be your friend. I want to be your savior. I want to give you freedom. So the third point that I want you to write down is, and we said this, step into freedom. Some of you today, you walked in here, and you're anything but free. You've been taking shots from the enemies. Your knees have been buckling. You're, you're, you're up to your neck in like fear and worry, and I don't know what's next, and I can't figure out my life, and I'm carrying this I'm carrying a boatload of baggage. Here's, here's, here's the coolest thing that I'm going to say today. You know why? You know why we're talking about battle ready? Because Jesus has already won the battle. He's already won the battle, and all he wants us to do is reach to grab him. And as we lean into him, we become strong and battle ready. My hope is that today, that all of you would walk away from here today saying yes to the one who loved you the most. And giving yourself the opportunity to have him in your heart, him in your life while you're on this earth, and to give yourself the opportunity that you could have heaven apart from hell someday. Now, my son the other day... um, overheard a conversation I was having with uh, one of our pastors, Ed, who's on our staff. Ed called me and said, hey, you got to pray for this, this, this guy that we're, that we're working with in our M- M2540 ministry, which is where our church and many of you guys volunteer. We have 50 or 60 volunteers a week that go and become the hands and feet of Jesus and you serve meals and you, you, hug, on, you hug necks and you pray for people and you encourage people. Well, Ed called me and said, hey, I'm about to probably have to, I'm, I'm about to do a funeral. One of our homeless men just passed away, and I said, was he saved? And Ed said, 
man, I don't think so. I'm not sure. I'm like, oh, no, Ed, that's, oh, wow. And all of a sudden, this reality sunk in because my son, who is as tender hearted as he could be, he heard this conversation. He came over as I'm talking to Ed, and he says, Daddy, what are you talking about? What, is some, there's a man, he's what? He's homeless, he's what? He's, he's not saved? Is he? And all of a sudden, we hung up with Ed, and I had to have a conversation with J.D., and lo and behold, this is not very good dad practices, but I, I decided I had my phone there. So I just I started videoing, videoing my son because my son laid on the floor and he just he wept and he cried and he said, Daddy, why in the world would God let this man go to hell? He said, I just don't understand that. I thought God loved us. And so we had a conversation to remind J.D. He does, he does, he does love us so much so that he did everything spiritually physically and emotionally, humanly possible by sending his one and only beloved son to the world to die for you and I. And I'm telling J.D. this, and he, and, and he, he gets it, but it's just, it's hard. It's hard for my little man to grasp that somebody could ever go to hell. Can I just tell you this morning, that's why we do church, right? This is, this is why. Some of you today, I believe God has you here for this moment to realize there is a Savior who gave his life, and he did it for you. And he offers up salvation. He offers up forgiveness. He offers up freedom. He offers up eternity in heaven. That's like getting your cake and eating it too. Like, wow, you would do that for me? Yes. Yes. Now look, here's the thing. This happened 2,000 some years ago. 2,000 years ago. And here's what's amazing. For 2,000 plus years, there has been men and women, boys and girls, who have heard the truth, who have understood the truth, who have had questions about the truth, but... They have said, because I know in my heart, because God has moved and I just believe in my heart. Scripture says, if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Scripture says, you will be saved. And there's been millions and millions and millions of people over the years who've said, I'm bowing the knee to Jesus because I need a Savior. I'm bowing the knee, I'm saying yes to Him because I need to be forgiven. I'm bowing the knee, I'm saying yes to Him because I can't go through life any longer apart, separated from the God who loves me. Some of you came in today, and you're God's creation. And, and we ought to applaud that. Wow, God's creation, right? Blue skies out today when we just saw, you know, a hurricane come up. And, and today we've got blue skies, and it's beautiful out. We ought to applaud the fact that we've got creation, and we're a part of His creation. Some of you came in today as God's creation. Some of you came in today as sons and daughters of God. And there's a huge difference. We're all God's creation. To become a son, to become a daughter, is simply just saying, because you did, because what you did on the cross, I want to be, I want to be your son. He wants to be your father. He wants you to be his son. He wants to have you as his daughter, and you need him as your father. So my hope is today, I'm going to pray in just a moment. 
And I'm going to invite anyone in this room who would say, I need a Savior today. I need to be forgiven of my sins. And I need to have hope that I can make it through this mess that I'm in this this lifetime. And I want to have hope and eternal security that when Jesus comes back someday, I'll go and I'll be with him and I'll be with the Father forever and ever in heaven. So let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we pause in this last moment and we say, number one, thank you for loving us. Thank you for having grace to step down in this dirty, messy world and to offer up to us hope and salvation. Lord, I pray for every man, woman, and boy, and child, and girl in this room and ask God, if they believe today, that you're Lord, that you were Savior, that you died on the cross and you rose from the dead, that they would simply, right now in their seats, just simply say to you, Jesus, I'm asking you today to be the leader and forgiver of my life. Would you come into my heart and would you save me? And let me just do this for time's sake and for maybe a faith step for you today. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer and you asked Jesus to be your Savior today, would you just let me see your hand or catch eyes with me so I can just celebrate with you? I see you. Yes, 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 yes. Anybody else? Jeff, I just, I just made Jesus leader and forgive my hand. Yes, ma'am, I see you. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? I made that decision today to make Jesus my Savior. Lord, we want to say thank you for being with us this morning. God, we want to celebrate you because there are many, many people today. As we someday enter into heaven, God, heaven will be more crowded because you've been with us today. God, we thank you for the simple fact that you love and that you save. I thank you for this church. And God, we praise you in this moment and celebrate those who have given their hearts to you. In your name we pray. Everybody said amen.